0: old. I fell on the ground and um like I just fell. I just I literally I can't explain it. I just fell. All right? And I hit my my chest was the first thing that hit. And like it didn't really take the wind out of me, but like it just wrecked me. And yesterday was fine. Today I woke up and I like Nikki's like, "Are you okay?" I'm like, "I am not okay." I don't know. I don't know. It's not broken. It can't be broken because yesterday was fine. I think I'm just really sore and getting old. This isn't how it used to be. Anyway, I'm going to try to make it through. If my voice kind of gives out, or I feel like if you just feel like I'm laboring, just that's why I'm okay. I'll make it through. I'm on heavy doses of pain medication. I'll be all right. Galatians one six through nine. No other gospel. Galatians one six through nine. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. One of the hardest things I think for us as Americans to do is receive a gift. It's tough work getting free stuff. It's hard work. The reality is we're so self-sufficient, aren't we? Spare us the indecency of giving us something. This is also true of us as Christians, maybe even particularly true of Christians. We're so self-able, self-confident, self-sustaining, so unwilling to be in a posture of true helplessness very difficult to be able to open ourselves up and say, other believers in my body, I need help. I need you. It's really difficult. I mentioned last week that grace in particular is scary. Free gift, unconditional love, demerited favor, one-way directional love, is scary it makes us uncomfortable for instance just simply ask yourself how willing are you to allow truly bad people to receive really good things that will begin to challenge your presuppositions of what is safe in this world allowing bad people to get good things that's not how it's supposed to work It's not always safe. To us, safety is often, most often, found in things related to the law. Things like discipline, obedience, hard work, commitment, our ability to measure up, our own put-togetherness, our performance, our track record, These are the things that bring safety to our lives, don't they? They assure certain kind of sure outcomes. Somewhere along our lives, we end up believing in a true sense that the Christian life is actually more about us and what we are able to do for Jesus rather than about what Jesus has done for us. In other words, safety, even in our Christian experience, can often be wrapped up in self-salvation rather than in Jesus' substitution. Sometimes it's easier simply to just focus rather on progress than propitiation. It's safer. These are things I can control. Everything else makes it more difficult for me to get a hold of. Bad people getting good things, I'm just not sure I'm ready for that. One of the charges against the idea of God's true free grace is the charge that you can preach grace too much. Many people have coined this phrase anti-nomianism. That is a big, strong word. Anti, meaning against, nomianism or nomos. Having this idea of lawfulness, this idea of being against the law. So, if you preach about too much grace, if you talk about God's free gift too much, if you talk about bad people getting good things too much, you might be charged with this idea of anti-nomianism, that you are against the realities of the law. Again, the law, oftentimes, our own blanket of security of performance. Paul presented the gospel as so free and so unconditional that he assumed his readers would think he was an antinomian. We get this from Romans 6. He assumes his readers are going to accuse him of antinomianism, of being against the law, that he says, what shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? You might be thinking that because grace is so free and so good to be true. But my friends, you would be wrong. By no means. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, The true preaching of the gospel of salvation by grace alone always leads to the possibility of this charge, antinomianism. There is no better test as to whether a man is really preaching the New Testament gospel of salvation than this, that some people might misunderstand it, And misinterpret it to mean that it really amounts to this, that because you are saved by grace alone, it does not matter at all what you do. You can go on sinning as much as you'd like because it will redound all the more to the glory of grace. If my preaching and presentation of the gospel of salvation does not expose it to that understanding, then it is not the gospel. This was the charge of the Apostle Paul. This was the charge of Martin Lloyd-Jones. This was the charge against Martin Luther. And my friends, it was actually the charge against Jesus Christ's own teaching. That Jesus was so full of grace. His grace was so free and so unconditional that it was as if he had set aside the conditions of the law. Oh, how the Pharisees loved to accuse Jesus of not caring about the law. They were wrong on every point, but they also failed to mishear or underhear the sweetness and goodness and freeness of God's grace. What's the need for all this scariness? What's the need for the scariness of the gospel? Why would God in Christ push us to the very brink of safety and security and push us right over into the bounds of things we can't control, into the scariness of God's free gift, into the bounds of irreligiosity and into the bounds of full and unconditional acceptance? Why would he do that? My friends, it's because the gospel, the free grace of God in Jesus, is actually the only thing capable of transforming a dead heart to a loving heart. It's the only thing capable of resurrecting dead bones. It's the only thing capable of creating love where there was no love. Martin Luther in his Heidelberg Disputations says, The grace of God does not find, but rather creates that which is pleasing to it. The grace of God does not find love for God. It doesn't go out and seek love for God and says, oh, found it there, found it there. That is not grace. The grace of God does not find the love of God, but rather it creates it. It spontaneously brings it to be, speaks it to where there was nothing. Whereas Paul says, He who has shown the light of God has shined a light into our hearts. It's the gospel. John Bunyan was told, You cannot keep assuring people of God's love because if you keep assuring people of God's love, they'll do whatever they want. And Bunyan's fa- famous answer was, No. If we keep assuring God's people of God's love, they'll do whatever he wants. It's powerful. This is why, this my friend, this and this alone, this reason alone, is why we must hold to the primacy of Jesus and his grace. We must not be shaken from it. We must not back down in any sense of its freeness, of its unconditionalness, of its sweeping goodness, and of its ability to create where there was nothing. This is what Paul set out to proclaim in the book of Galatians. He set the record straight last week with opening up his letter with a kind of thesis statement on the reality of God's grace. He says, grace and peace have been given to you. God's grace, his unconditional acceptance in Jesus is the root of our freedom, but peace is the fruit of it. We have peace with God, but also the peace of God continues to be experienced in our life as we cling to the word of his grace. But then from our words tonight, his tune quickly changes, very quickly. And so tonight we're going to look at two major points here. We're going to see the shock And Paul's going to level a curse. It's not particularly a happy text that we're in, but if you're listening carefully, it actually rests on a bed of happiness. Paul initially is shocked, flabbergasted. That's the direct translation of the Greek word. I'm flabbergasted. That's a joke. I'm astonished, verse six. I am astonished. I can't. Believe you guys, what on earth, guys, I'm just, I can't believe you that you would so quickly desert him who called you into this grace. I can't, I can't even believe it. I leave you guys alone for two seconds and we're already off track. I mentioned this last week. Paul's angry tone is a powerful tool to raise our awareness on how easy our hearts reject grace and pursue freedom through bondage. So listen up. Don't get mad at Paul. Hear his heart. Hear his pastoral heart. This is how quickly, this is how easy it is to turn away. We have to have an apostle get right in us. Guys, I can't believe you. You can almost hear, I mean, like, if it were me, I probably would have thrown in there a little bit of, like, idiots. It's not a good word, kids, is it? It's not not a good word. I'm glad Paul leaves it out. I'm astonished, guys. You fools. What's going on? How is this possible? He mentions a couple things that are really clarifying, exact points of his uh, consternation with the Galatian churches. Number one He's astonished that this happens so quickly, so quickly. This happens so fast. I turn around, I go plant a church, I turn around, and all of a sudden you guys have left the entire reason why your church exists. Not just quickly, but exactly the person, the person who has called you into this grace. It's so quickly deserting him. In other words, this isn't just a doctrinal error. This isn't merely just like a oh we just ah we just gonna need to pay a little bit more attention to the catechism here. This is personal, like Coach Prime. This is personal. It's about not just about doctrine. This has nothing to do with uh, I shouldn't say nothing. This has very little to do with the organization of the church. This isn't about a church. This isn't about a denomination. This isn't about even the local expression of the church gathered here. This isn't about this being even just like a a rehab program and how successful it is. This is very very personal. I'm so astonished that you have so quickly left him. You've deserted Jesus. You've turned your back on him. It's not just that they've chosen a different program. This isn't that they just like say no, I'm, I'm no longer this denomination I'm walking over, I'm going to join these guys. This is high-level treason. This is spiritual desertion. The reality is Paul believes that it's about a personal love that has been left. You left him hanging at the altar. He has loved you. He has called you into this. He has won over your heart and you left him hanging up there. Paul mentions this several times related to the personal love that God in Christ has for people like you and me. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, in which you are even now being saved, if you hold fast to the word of Christ unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Do you hear the personal tone? This gospel that I received, it was for us. He died for our sins. He was resurrected for your sake. He, He came for you. He wanted you. And you left so quickly. What's going on? Or Titus three. For we ourselves, excuse me, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs to the hope of eternal life. You left him. What are you doing? Where are you going? What... What other love are you pursuing right now? I just can't believe. It would be one thing if this happened over time. I get it. It would be one thing if you just like, you know, decade after decade, where things just grew cold. That's understandable. This happened so quickly. And him. Things haven't grown cold. You've rejected him. This is a very clear indictment. Paul believes that we are natural born traitors. There's no way to soften the blow of his language. This isn't a whoopsies. This isn't just a common mistake. This isn't a doctrinal error. This isn't a a minor shift. This is treason. This is disdain for the grace that was shown to us. When we fail to submit our hearts to the finishedness and sufficiency of God's free grace, we are not just denying key Christian doctrine. We are personally and functionally denying Christ himself. We're walking away from Jesus. We're turning our back on him. The reality is you and I are not likely to sell Jesus out for 20 pieces of silver I don't believe that's probably our mode. It's probably not how it's going to look. But you and I will believe that our acceptance with God is in jeopardy because of our sin this week. We will be tempted to do that. We'll be tempted to think that somehow because of our sin and inactivity towards God, that somehow that changes God's gracious disposition toward us. As if we can get him to deny his love for us. We will think that. You and I probably won't mockingly kiss Jesus in a way that would turn Jesus over to Roman guards to be crucified. But we will continue to believe that we are better than some people in this church based simply on our own rules of spiritual performance. Happy to do that. Happy to stand other people up in judgment. Say, I mean, that girl, Jeez, come on. We will be happy to do that. This isn't just a matter of, of 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 doctrinal error or just a slight whoopsies. This is our natural born, treasonous hearts, turning our back on grace, turning our back on Jesus, going our own way. Trying to find love somewhere else rather than in Jesus. The reality is we are drawn away from Christ on our own. Absolutely. We don't need anyone else to stir that in us. We find other loves. Not that there are other loves, but my friend, we believe it in our own hearts and we're drawn away by our own lusts and enticed. But also, my friends, the reality is we also draw each other away from Christ too. This is where he goes on to say we are also natural-born troublemakers. We are so easily the ones who turn from the grace of Christ, deserting him who called us into this grace. Not that there is another one, But also there are some in this world, some in this church, who delight to trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And my friends, when we ourselves become a traitor to grace and move away from grace and go our own way of self-justification, the only other evangelism that we have is towards other people in a way that leads them away from Christ as well. And we proselytize people to self-righteousness as opposed to grace. And those are, we are the ones who like to trouble other people. We're natural-born troublemakers, aren't we? We like, to just, we like to trouble people. Let's kind of get underneath their skin a little bit. That judgmentalism kind of comes out and spills over. We like to kind of agitate that and get underneath their skin. <laughs> I am better than you, aren't I? I have more righteousness in the game, don't I? What's to make trouble in this world? What's to mess with people's consciences a little bit? Why do we do that? It's like they're, my, they're in the room. They're like my kids, right? Try to like they're just agitating each other. You can try to like get down to the, like what what's guys what's what's going on, what's going on? And you just find out they're just troublemaking. They're just they don't know what they're thinking. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know why they're doing it. It's just like chestiness and being a boy and being a dude. It's just that's what like why why are you doing that? I don't know, I don't know. Okay, I'm like, let's just not create stuff just to create stuff. He was fine. He was fine on his own. <laughs> Why do I have to like, go create a stir? There are some people in the church who like to trouble you, like to stir up things in your conscience. Why? We don't really know. It's just how we are. It's just a natural-born disposition. It's this traitorous disposition against Jesus going any other way except the way of grace. There's something like to trouble you, and in troubling you, they distort the grace of Christ. Notice, notice how Paul does not say, make wholesale changes. doesn't say that. He, he's not saying there are going to be wholesale changes or major doctrinal differences. That's not it. Just slight distortions. Just minor tweaks. Just... Yeah, no, just a little bit. As one pastor said, the greatest threat to the gospel of God's free grace does not come from outside the church, but inside the church. And it comes when Christians like you and me go against the free grace of God in Jesus and in modes of self-justification not only have our own consciences troubled and rebel against Jesus, but also then try to upset other people and distort the gospel just a shade. And there's no greater power at that at work than the church of Jesus Christ. Paul is talking to church people here. There are some people around you who want to distort the truth of the gospel and who want to trouble your soul. He's talking to Christian people. People who would claim the name of Christ. Luther is the only ways that Luther can, can talk about it. He brings Satan into this. There's a little bit of white Satan, dark Satan, but you'll hear it. Here let us learn to recognize the tricks and craft of the devil. A heretic does not come with the label of error or devil, nor does the devil himself come in the form of a devil, especially not that white devil. In fact, even the black devil, who impels men to overt acts of evil, provide them with a covering for the acts they perpetrate or intend to perpetrate. In his fury, the murderer does not see that murder is as great as horrible sin as it is, in fact, because he has a covering for it. Letchers, thieves, covetous men, drunkards, and the like— Had the means to flatter themselves and cover up their sins. Thus, the black devil always emerges in disguise and covering of all of his works and tricks. But in the spiritual area, area where Satan emerges, not black but in white, in guise of an angel, or even in God himself, there he puts himself forward with very sly pretense and amazing tricks. He peddles his deadly poison as the doctrine of grace, the word of God, and the gospel of Christ. And we know his sly tricks all too well. This is the yes, grace, but crowd, isn't it? Yes, grace, but you also have to fill in the blank. Yes, grace, but unless you're having your devotion seven times a week, you can't be as spiritual as you need to be. Yes, grace, but your kids better turn out all right or else. Yes, grace, but only if you don't drink alcohol. Yes, grace, but you must drink alcohol. Yes, grace, but sing only these approved songs. Yes, grace, but only if you positively remain constantly happy all the time. No anger, no sadness here, better be happy. Yes, grace, but only if you promise to hop off the struggle bus. Come on, man, just get over your problems. Stop being so needy. Yes, grace, but only if you're as busy as I am. We love the grace of Jesus only as it fits our own personal spiritual rules. A yes, grace, but posture is a functional denial of the person and work of Jesus and fails to love others in the way that God has loved us all. A yes, grace, but posture is a functional denial of the person and work of Jesus and fails to love others in a way that God loves us all. It's amazing that, again, the people that Paul is speaking to are the religious people who supposedly care so much about the law, right? These are the people who really care. These are the people who are like trying to upstand holiness. <laughs> we got holiness. Where's yours? Those kind of people, Right? And what does Paul say about those people? Those are the ones who are trying to trouble you. Those are the ones who don't care about you. Those are the ones who are trying to stir up your soul for no good reason. Those are the ones who want to distort the gospel. They neither love God or love people. What they're projecting, love God and love people, is what they're failing to do by their own distortion of the gospel. And Paul makes it very, very clear There is no other gospel. Any moving away from the free grace of Jesus is a very denial of his person and work. And so he goes right for the curse. There's that Luther quote. There you go. The curse in verses eight and nine. But even if we Or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. It's amazing, Paul basically says the same thing twice. He kind of has a different crowd mentioned in verse 8 and verse 9, but it's basically the same message holistically. There's a curse leveled in both verse 8 and verse 9, let him be accursed. There's no way to really shake it. It carries this idea of uh, God's curse, may God's curse be upon him. It carries the idea of anathema. In our language, it would be simply translated go to hell. It would be that very simple kind of curse that we probably hear way too often. It's that same kind of, Curse that Paul levies against the one who would deny the free grace of Jesus. Notice what he says, who who those people would be that would incur this curse. He says, it's possibly we. He's talking about apostles. There's another apostle changing his tune, going against the grace that we've accepted already. If there's an angel, any sort of heavenly being, There's any sort of creature robed in light or in glory. Don't listen to that one. Don't even pay attention. And in case there's any question, in verse 9, he says, If anyone is preaching to you, you would think that, like, probably an angel, then an apostle would probably clear everybody else, like we probably shouldn't listen to the mailman either or like know, whoever else or like Apostle Joe on the radio, probably wouldn't listen to him too. But just trying to make sure he catches everybody, anyone from an angel, a heavenly being or an apostle, it's pretty serious stuff. But really just anybody, anybody. If there's anyone out there that's misaligned with the doctrine of God's free grace, the curse of God is on him. And yes, I can't argue with the language of it. Paul is levying a curse here. But also you have to recognize too, of course, Paul's levying a curse because the reality is the person who rejects the grace of God, who turns his back on Christ himself and the free grace offered there is already placed in a curse. We know this to be true. Sin brings on a curse. And apart from Christ, that curse is not lifted because Jesus is the one who has taken our curse upon himself. So unless that has happened for you, my friend, the reality is you'd still be remain you'd remain in a curse. The purity and the freeness of God's grace in Christ is the only thing capable of actually transforming a dead heart to love God. My friend, this is why Paul is so serious. Next week, we're going to talk about how actually this gospel, the reason why we listen to this gospel as received, because it came directly from Christ Himself. This is a direct message from the prophet of God, Jesus Himself, who became to us in His incarnation the Word of God expressed to us clearly. That's why we listen to Him and Him only. Measure up everything else we see with the free and unconditional gift of God in Christ. It is the only thing. It is the only gospel out there. No matter how else it looks, everything else is from a cursed place. Everything else has trouble and distortion wrapped around it. The only thing our, our ears should be attuned towards is the scariness of God's grace. The the uncontrollability of divine, unconditional acceptance. Maybe I can say it this way. If it feels safe to the human heart, it probably isn't safe. The reality is Jesus takes all of our salvation into his hands and communicates it to us freely by his word, through the spirit, in our gospel. And that, my friends, is what we trust. No ifs, no buts, no qualifications, no asterisks, just Jesus and him crucified. This is why Paul was so intent. I came to you with nothing else except Jesus and him crucified. Why? Because it's the only thing that saves. I could have given you a 12-step plan. I could have given you other really good religious things to be concerned about. None of that stuff matters. None of it actually gets the power of heart change around it. The purity and the freeness of God's grace in Christ is the only thing capable of actually transforming a dead heart to love God so it gets fired up. Don't be so quick to abandon him. Go back. It's rooted in his divine love for you. He came for you. You didn't ask him to. We didn't want him to, but he came and he took your sins upon himself so freely, and you get, he gave you all of his righteousness and all of his life to you. He loves you deeply. Don't miss that. Don't run away, don't move away. Or as John Bunyan reminded us, if we keep assuring God's people of God's love, they might just actually do what He wants to do. If we keep reminding people how much He loves you, look at the cross see how much he loves you, see how much he's given to you. In your heart might spring up a kind of gratitude, a kind of gratefulness, and a kind of love that the law could never produce. You might be free. Let's pray. has redeemed Shepherd Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Our mission at Good Shepherd is to proclaim the gospel so that all people will believe, grow, and hope in Jesus. One of the main ways we believe that we are accomplishing our mission is through the proclaimed word. We believe that the preached word creates and sustains the church. Our desire is to preach Christ crucified for you, which means we hope that Jesus is the substance and hero of every sermon and that Jesus is preached into the places of sin and brokenness into our hearts. We thank you for joining us and hope that you will believe, grow, and hope in Jesus.